You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the coaching profession. Tune in for more episodes for anything coaching related in game, outside of the game, and anything in between. On today's episode brought to you by V-Reps Virtual Playbook, we are joined by Kyle Deemer, basketball coach at Queen Creek High School and founder of 94 Feet Hoops. Coach, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. Doing great. Thank you for having me. Um, very honored to be on. You've had a lot smarter people than me be on this show, so I appreciate you guys thinking about me. Well, the only people that aren't smart on the show are the hosts, but we'll go from there. So, <laughs> I was going to say, everybody else has been smarter than us, so... You're, you're, ahead, you're ahead of us for sure. We like to uh, just start a segment uh, just with our guests, uh, just to kind of loosen things up, get it going. So, you know, we wanted to start with, you know, 94 feet hoops and, um, you know, kind of just take our listeners through, you know, why did you start it? You know, how did you go about starting it and, and kind of what are your goals of, uh, of it? Sure. So, um, like most of us, you know, with COVID and all that stuff, like I was really just missing the game and it opened up another opportunity for a lot of coaches to kind of share with one another. So I was just sitting around. I'm like, well, you know, nothing else to do, I guess. So I just wanted to just share content and connect with other coaches and that kind of stuff. So um, that's just kind of where it all kind of stemmed from was wanting to just share the game with other, with other, with other people. Uh, and then I actually had the time to kind of take the time to actually set up and make a brand and kind of do all that stuff. So since I had the time to do it, I thought that was a perfect time to try it. Um, it's been fun. You know, I haven't had the amount of time I want to put into it as always, because we all work multiple jobs and coaching that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I get the chance to kind of share with other guys. I really enjoy it. All right. So that, that leads us perfectly into the next question, uh, obviously. Um, and I think, I think, you, well, I'm into this now and we, we talked a while back and then we got, during COVID, I think we started chatting because you were saw something I had put out in the chat or something. Uh, but you're the content creator for let's see, that's what you do. You, you do a lot of your presentations on that. Uh, so just tell us about what it is, what it does, and and how can it help coaches and and what you're what you're doing with it. Sure. So in my opinion, Lucio is is, is an absolute game changer. Um, you know, for me personally, it's helped simplified everything they do when it comes to coaching my players. So not only does it give them access to things like I can go make a, you know, a, a quick video on how to break down the concept in our office on our offense, then our guys go watch it, you know, and I have video in there, I have animations, I'm, I'm telestrating on top of both the video and animations, you know, I got the voiceover on there and it, and it requires zero effort on my end and just literally hit record. So in that aspect, you know, it's, I've really seen, especially this year, because I'm at a new school now at Queen Creek and the jump in our players' IQ um, from this summer to now has been like tenfold. It's, it's the biggest jump I've seen out of any other program I've ever been a part of. Um, and I, and I, a big believer is Lucio. You know, they they get they're constantly getting content pushed to them from, from the coaching staff, and so their their knowledge and learning is is just grown tremendously. You know, we'll go watch film as a team. It's amazing. Like you could tell they know what the heck they're talking about now. Like the first time you watched film, it was just like I don't really know. But now when we're going there, like, oh, yeah, they made this wrong read. Or we should have screened here. We should have done this. And it's just awesome to see 
the IQ side of them grow. I think it's just a, it's a tremendous teaching tool for our players to help them grow. And then, you know, in huddles and, and in the game, I haven't used a whiteboard in two and a half years. So for me, I have all my stuff loaded. Like, you know, how you have your game card, but my, my Lucio app matches my game cards. So whenever I want to run something, it's all pre-animated and all the other, all the other great stuff. So when we go into a timeout, my kids get to see the play cleanly, you know, two to three, four times in a timeout. Um, I got their names in there and it just, it's so much easier for them to follow. You know, we'll purposely like follow even messing around. We put some, some just com- more complex ATOs in just to see what happens. And they were able to go out there and, and actually like execute pretty darn well considering they've never been put in those uh, sets before. So it just, it's been tremendous for me to just help simplify my coaching, grow the, the, the learning, my players, um, and this is our staff too. It's just been tremendous to kind of help us as a, as a program just really take that next step. Because you know how it is like high school coaches, we have no resources, no nothing. So it's really hard to get our guys, you know, learning constantly all the time. So this this really helped us do that. Well, and uh, coach, I, I'm going to follow up for a second, but I think it's also just for me using a little bit. It, it's good to help some of our learners that are more visual as well, right? It used to be just we put on a play and it doesn't move and. Um, so I want to talk about how you use it in your scouting reports. Um, you know, it, are you just coming through and, and putting your clips in and then diagramming it? Um, or are you, you splicing it into your scouting reports? How, how are you using that to prepare for whatever team you're playing for? Yep. So I'll cut it all up for each, each team. And then I'll, I'll cut the film, the, the, the animation look at, I'll have the video look at, and then I do individual stuff too. So I'll just put video, individual player edits in there. Um, along to go with their playbook or certain things I want them to focus on. Uh, but again, what's nice is it's all on their phone. Like they're look, they're on their phones anyway. So the biggest thing for me was is not no longer ending up on the bottom of the bus, their backpack, the other team's locker room because it's on their phone. So that was the biggest thing for me is like, <laughs> I, I felt better. Maybe they don't look at it, but at least I felt better. I'm not finding it on the floor. You know what I mean? So um, that was a big thing, just having it on their phones at all times. And, and like I said, everybody's visual. So they can go watch their matchup or who they want to go watch for a couple minutes. Um, I just think it created a little higher engagement as well. Well, cause we all know there's, there's always the one that ends up on the floor or left on the bench or in the locker room. There's always, there's always one when you give out a scouting report. Absolutely. I'll give you a funny story. So we were, we were on the road and I gave out our scouting reports on the bus and I was going to bring up a sophomore, give him some minutes on the varsity, been working hard. And <laughs> so we're sitting there watching the JV game. All of a sudden this paper airplane comes flying down, hits me in the back of the head. Can you guess what was on the paper on the uh, paper airplane? Was it our scout report? I'm like, well, all right, well, I'll take the jersey back. You're not playing tonight, you know. But just funny, like you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff because, you know, it's just not out there. It's just on their phones. I mean, was it a good paper airplane? At least it was a great paper airplane. As a matter of fact, uh, at the banquet, we bought him a paper airplane book on how to make all the different types of paper airplanes inside. Right. It. That's, That's just amazing. That's awesome. That's hilarious. That's my favorite part of this story. <laughs> So uh, let, let's kind of get into the five-out offense. I'm a big five-out offense guy myself. Um, I, I have been for a few years. I kind of started uh, with the old Paretta stuff from, from the Villanova women's side and kind of built off it. Um, for you, uh, why, why is this the, the best or most optimal offensive setup? Um, and kind of what are two to three main points of focus to be successful in the five-out offense? Let's start with those. Sure. Well, the beautiful thing about basketball is there's more than one way to play the game. So obviously I'm very passionate about this way. Um, doesn't mean it's the only right way, but I just love the, 
the opportunities it, it allows us to create within our offense, you know, with the, with the paint constantly being available and open, um, it gives our guys an opportunity to really be aggressive. It allows our guys to really just put pressure on the rim, whether it's, it's through cutting or attacking with the dribble or what have you. Um, I just feel it just gives us more flexibility and adaptability with one, our personnel, but two, just allowing us to, f- to flow a little freer within our offense. Um, and I'd say a couple big things, uh, at least we harp on one is, you know, spacing is absolutely the most important thing. Um, two, we talk about having, you know, deep paint touches. So we'll track how many paint touches we hit in a quarter. Uh, but we want like deep paint touches, you know, actually getting past, you know, one foot past the free throw. Like we want to really get in, the, in there deep. That's going to cause the defense to collapse. We get a domino to fall. We play out of that. Um, and I say the third most important thing, at least for a coach, is just to know exactly your philosophy on every single action that you might run. So, for example, is, you know, how, what are our reads when we come off a pin down screen? Because you might come off a single, you might come off a double, you might come off a five. It doesn't matter. Like, how do you come off that screen? The reads need to be the same. The same reason, and then same thing with how you handle DHOs and pick and rolls, those sort of things. So then once you have that foundation set and what you believe in, it's very easy to run offense because it doesn't matter what ATO you drop. It doesn't matter what formation or what action we're running. We know the reads we're going to make out of it regardless of what action we're in. All right, so – oh, go ahead, John. I was just going to say, the the other follow-up I wanted to to hit on before – before Todd follows up on the paint touch piece of it is I wanted to get into for you, because as you said, there is more than one way to, to do everything. So my follow-up to you, and, and I like when people ask me this, cause I'm just as passionate about five off five out offense as you is what's the flaws of it, coach. The flaws of it. I would say trying to put too much structure and rules into it. I would say that'd be the flaws of it. We're instead teaching more concept-based and allowing more structured freedom for your players. So when you're really trying to like, if you run the swing offense or you run the flex, you can do the same thing every single time, right? And I think when you try and put that into the five out, it just takes away all the flow. So we are big believers in more teaching concepts and reads and counters out of everything that we run. So it's just flowing. If I'm supposed to go set a screen on somebody and they take that option away, like, fine, I'm going to go, cut through this way we just were able to kind of play off of each other we're just playing more basketball versus i having to think okay well so i set the flex screen and i couldn't set it so now what do we do it's more of just creating concepts so our guys can understand the flow of the game uh, and it's more of just worrying about playing basketball making reads uh, than trying to follow a specific system so i want to get back to the paint touches um I, I saw i don't remember where it was just scrolling through twitter the other day somebody statted their um, shooting percentages, I think it was from threes for, for paint touches. Uh, I don't know. I'm just wondering if you've done anything like that. If you found that when you get a paint touch, X shooting percentage goes up or, you know, the offense scores more points per game, anything like that. So when we get a, there's two stats. <clears throat> when we get a, a deep paint touch three, right. Single kick out, we shoot anywhere between 43 to 47% from three. Um, if we get a, a, you know, we get a piece of the paint and then get in one more, um, that number is very close also. It's more like 42 to 45% from three. So whether it's a one more or we're getting super deep and just wide open kick, you know, our, our, our shooting from three is over 43 plus, which for us is tremendous. 
Um, I think I think we'd all be happy if we're shooting that percentage from three. But I and then if we're not hitting the paint, you know, our, our shooting percentage from three is a lot lower. All right, so let's go into personnel now and like install a five out. Uh, let's start with with the personnel. Um, if if you got your ideal personnel out there, what is it? So if you because that's another thing too is there's different ways to run five out depending on the personnel that you have. But for me personally. I would love to have a, a great decision maker um, and skilled big at, at, the, at the five spot for me, someone who can make good decisions, put them in DHO situations, two-man situations. Um, there's a, a great decision maker, almost think like Sabonis with, with Indiana last year. Uh, that'd be like my ideal five. And then you'd obviously have some shooters to space out. You have a great downhill guy and you have a great pick and roll guy. So in a perfect world, you'd have a CP3 up the top of pick and roll. You'd have dead eye shooters in the corners. You'd have a nice slasher like a, uh, like a, almost I guess like a Giannis or Jimmy Butler or somebody like that can really put a lot of pressure on the rim. Athletic get to the rim. Then you have a really good decision making, um, skilled big. Okay, so you just talked about some of the skills. So then, how let's go into like our, our drills and how we're connecting them to the offense. So you kind of have those things. So what drills do you think are most important? Um, you know, progressions, whatever it may be, to connect those concepts and what you're doing to the skill sets of your players. So we do a lot of small sided games. We do a lot of three on three. Uh, we'll do some three on O stuff early, like for warmups. So if we're warming up, we'll do all three on O <clears throat> and just say we're in our delay action. So we'll just say we're in, you know, we're delay down and they'll go down, run three on O delay down, but everybody gets a shot. Then we'll go delay up, delay under all the different reads, just kind of getting guys up and down the floor, loose, getting shots, going through a read, going through our progressions. Um, and again, it just kind of helps build some memories, some helps teach a little bit of, of what we're doing while guys are getting shots. And then we start putting it into more three-on-three, four-on-four um, situations. We do a lot of live stuff. I think, again, because we're teaching concepts, more reps they get at decision-making is a better outcome for us versus just we're going to work on a skill, one-on-o or two-on-o, whatever. Um, to me, that doesn't benefit as much as us putting them in a two-on-two, three-on-three situation where it might be a little sloppier, but it's it's game-like. Like, the defense is going to handle DHL differently every time down the floor. So we can't sit there and just script out what we're doing every single practice. Um, so we do a lot of three-on-three, four-on-four. We'll dictate, <clears throat> you know, what we're, what kind of action we'll be starting in, or we'll, dict we'll, you know, we'll put someone at an advantage and dictate things that way. Um, but I just do think it's so important to really work on live situation stuff as much as possible. Without going full five on five, you can break it down three on three. Because a lot of stuff that we run is three man or two man actions anyway, and the other two guys are spacing the floor. So we're, it allows us to work on on smaller smaller stuff within drills. All right. So now you got those concepts in. All right. Let's let's go transition. Mm -hmm. All right. I mean, and I guess obviously it's going to depend on personnel. But what do you think ideally? is best and works the best it's true five out break or having a rim runner moving to five out um what is your what is your preference and what are kind of the advantages and disadvantages of both sure so i'm <clears throat> i'm very anti-rim run um every guy who says they are a rim runner guy i just say tell me how many points you score a game from it so in fact yesterday i was watching the juco jamboree out here in arizona i mean lots of great teams i mean they got you know you know, division one players, all that great stuff. And they're, well, I'm watching them play and I'm watching, I watched two and a half games yesterday and there was six points scored in two and a half games off a rim run. 
So for me, I'm like, well, why am I pushing my poor big to freaking sprint his butt down the floor, the poor big guy, for six points a game if we're lucky? So I'd rather just let him, you know, find more of a flow and, and, and save some energy to go hit, hit somebody, whether it's a drag screen, go set a quick screen, we get into some pistol action. Um, so that's just my philosophy is that we don't run a big to the rim because we just it's not worth the, the energy expended versus the amount of points we get out of it. It just doesn't seem worth it to me. Um, so what we do do, we just have different reads depending on where the ball goes or where our big is. So if our big is behind the ball, automatically we're going to be setting a drag screen. Like it's just automatic, no ifs, ands, or buts, we set a drag. You know, if our big gets ahead of the ball, we have some choices. You know, he can go set a quick screen. We can go set, you know, what I call away. We'll set, you know, double drag away or a double screen away, I mean. Um, and then we're just kind of making reads. So maybe our point guard's coming down the floor and we've been hitting them a lot of drag. So they're starting to pick up at the three-point line now instead of picking us up early. Fine, we'll just hit it to our big early. We'll go into delay stuff. So it's more of just allowing our guys the freedom to make different reads depending on where the ball is, where the defense is, and it's less scripted. It's more of giving them, again, that, that we're teaching concepts and giving them that freedom structure of choice. Coach, just as a follow-up before I move on, do you ever have your big – this is something I did all summer long and, and I'm going to ex- continue to experiment with, about your big taking the ball out of bounds. Yes, we do. We never we take our ball out of bounds. Yeah, we, we like it. Um, for us, we're very versatile in the sense that, uh, you know, we're just not very big. <laughs> we have one mm-hmm. six, seven kid. Everybody else is the same size. Mm-hmm. So if he's not in, just whoever takes that ball out just becomes our, our five man. Yeah, that was, that, that was somewhat of my thought because I was tired of playing with the, the four out, five out. What am I doing on my fast break? And I'm just going to have the big take the ball out, make it simple. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. So in talking about all of that offensively, you know, all three of us, we've all taken over a program at some point. Um, so when a coach takes over a program, I, I always – uh, find this to be an age-old question: Should that coach come in and have the system fit the kids, or, to a point, have the kids fit the system? So, personally, now that I'm a big five-out guy, I think it's a combination of both. So, again, you look at Denver, the the Nuggets, the Indiana Pacers, or the Toronto Raptors, and let's say the Miami Heat. They all run five-out completely different. They all run five out. They, they, they adapt the system to their personnel, but they're still running five out. So I'm, I'm kind of the same way. We, I would evaluate what types of players that I have who would fit great in what roles and then adjust my system, even though we're still going to be five out, but maybe we're running different actions or we might do different things with their five man. Um, so it's a kind of, it's, it's kind of a sweet spot of, of adjusting to both. Um, now, if I took over a program where we had, you know, three, six, 10 kids who can't move, well, I probably wouldn't be <laughs> make a small adjustment there, obviously, but I mean, I've never been that lucky. So um, I'd just say it's, it's a nice fine tuning between you know, adjusting the, the personnel to the, to the system. But I think it's an easy system where you can apply any personnel to. Well, and, and I'm kind of glad you say that because I think every time we have a guest on or the majority of the time you have a guest on, everybody says, well, yes, we're going we're gonna to form it to the kids. We're going to form it to the kids. We're going to form it to the kids. But then I also think to a point as the coach, you kind of lose yourself a little bit. Like you then start teaching things you may not be as knowledgeable in, you may not be as comfortable in. Um, So let me just ask the follow-up with this idea is 
that might be true your first year. You might have to morph it to the kids that you have. But if you're a place three, four, five, six, seven years, and you're still saying, I'm morphing it to the kids, does your skill development then actually match what you really want? If the players aren't developing the skills to match somewhat of what you want, what does that kind of say about your skill development? Right. I, th- I think it's a, that's a great point. It's hard. I, I've done it, right? You know, I was 24 and I took over a, a high school and I don't you know. I, year one, here's what we're running, regardless of my personnel. You know, a young guy really wasn't very experienced. And then the next year, I'm like, okay, well, here's the guys I have. So we're in this offense. So in two different years, I'm teaching two different offenses. And probably my players suffered because, well, we did this last year. Now we're doing this this year. And we're trying to change. I mean, not only on the skill development side, but you're asking your players to learn a whole new system every single year, which is really, really difficult to do. So I do think it's it's important to really have a, have a strong philosophy in the system and making guys fit that as best as you can. You're going to have outliers, but I do think changing systems every year or every couple of years is, is hard on kids, especially because they're learning it, you know, at the freshman and JV level, then they come to varsity, like, well, why aren't we running what we did the last two years at the freshman JV level? So it just, it's hard, you know, high school consistency is key. If you can be consistent at the high school level, like you win games just because you're consistent. So I think that that's a very valid point you bring up. So you talked about a little bit earlier in the question and, uh, John, I think what did Coach Winter say there? Our episode that we're going to come out here this week. He said he had like a six six, six eight, six ten kid. Yeah, at one point so that, at the same team. So he was lucky enough to have that. But I want to talk about like you. You got a you got a post player, but he's not not super mobile. Um, but you're still running five out. So what are what are the things that you're doing with that player? Maybe he's, maybe he's a tall guy can can work down in the paint. That's his that's his skill set. How are you incorporating that guy into a five out? Yep. So one, if he's not very mobile and he's a big dude, I'm going to save him some time and energy by not running to the rim, <laughs> save his, save his energy and gas and knees, all that good stuff. But if he's that big and immobile, there's other ways, excuse me, to utilize him. Tons of drag screens, ball screens, off ball screens, you know, utilizing him where he can go hit guys, you know, use his big body to our advantage. Um, just get him. And then skill development wise, get him comfortable with handling the basketball, making decisions with, with handoffs, um, you know, a great example would be, you know, Loyola Marymount's big man last year. Not a great athlete, right? Not easy to go beat anybody off the dribble, but he was very, very effective in that, in that um, five-out offense last year. He was a great decision maker, great screener, um, and a smart kid. So that's, that's one thing I would use him for is just getting comfortable with handoff situations and then pick and roll stuff. But then also, like, there's lots of ways, even though we're five out, to get those guys post touches, right? We can set rip screens. We can set you can go wedge action. There's different ways to get him a post look. But what's nice is instead of him just working his triangle and just banging down there and trying to fight the front and the seal and all the different stuff, right, the paint's still open, which allows us to still be in our attack mentality and hunting the paint. At the same time, if we want him to get a look, we can go set him a screen to go down there and get a post look. If he doesn't like it, we can throw him in the dunker or bring him back out. Uh, but he's not sitting there just clogging up the paint the whole entire time because that's his, quote, unquote, his game. He's a big and mobile guy. So it's just a great way to utilize him, um, you know, away from that. And then something that we do to sell that type of player in their role is letting him know, we call him our trigger man. Um, You know, you trigger our offense. You know, you're the reason we get scoring opportunities. You are so important. Without you doing your job, we will never score the basketball. So it gives him a sense of pride and ownership. Like, yeah, the offense revolves around me, even though I may 
not be getting a bunch of post touches, but I'm getting guys open. I'm setting screens. You know, I'm, I'm diving to the basket. I'm you know causing double teams. So it's just a great way to kind of get him involved and feel confident that he's making a huge impact within our offense, even though he's not down the block working his triangle and just fighting dudes for for all game down there. So I kind of want to go now into let let's go into into a game and what are a couple of things that you see pretty consistently. Uh, that that teams will go against you uh, and do and then what are some things that you will kind of do to counter or adjust during the game maybe one or two of the most common ones sure so we've been pretty successful with with drag screens you know our kids do a great job of setting them like way high and wide Um, and so you'll see first half you we just crush dudes up there and then they start sagging off picking us up a little bit lower and they won't pick us up to the three-point line. So when that happens, we get into a lot more of our delay action where we actually play through our big um, because there's no, we're not going to, we don't, we won't set that screen at three-point line. This is one of our rules. So if he's down there, we're not going to go set it. We'll just play through our big and we have different stuff out of there that we'll, we'll run. Um, another thing that we'll see teams do is just try and pack the paint because we're always trying to just get hard, you know, get deep paint touches. So um, when that starts happening, you know, we'll do a lot of uh, slot cutting or 45 cutting. Uh, we'll try and space the floor, get some empty side stuff um, to try and spread them out. Um, and then I think what else? I guess it'd be how teams try to take away maybe our, our dribble handoffs or, or, or pick and roll stuff. Um, and then we just kind of have our, you know, if a team's hedging, we're doing this. If they're trapping, we're doing this. If they're in drop, we're doing this. We just kind of teach our kids those coverages our coverage counters, I guess, versus what the defense is doing there. So that's kind of the nice thing is no matter what the defense is doing, we have a counter. We're not going to fight pressure with pressure. So if I'm supposed to go set a pin down and he's fighting me on it, nope, we're just you're going to go to option B. So we, we try to do a good job of teaching our kids, um, you know, all the different options out of everything is that we're not having to like constantly be bogged down and fighting pressure with pressure and I'm supposed to do this or that. So Whatever, whether the defense wants to throw at us, we practice the counter to it. All right, so you kind of let me right into that again here. Uh, the, the planning and designing of your playbook, right? You talked about those counters. Um, so when you're looking, coming into a season and planning, okay, we're going to, we have to have this for early season and this, you know, how are you planning to build upon those, those concepts, right? Because obviously you can't throw them all at once. Yep. Maybe you're lucky enough to have an experienced team, but even then you have a summer period, you know, you have, you guys are mixing in to try to figure it out and, 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 you know, designing your playbook to the players you have for that year. Cause every year, you know, it's a little bit different. You have, sure. you lost a kid here, you gained a kid here, you gained a skill, you know what I mean? So how, how do you go through that process? So the first thing we do is we talk about exactly, like I kind of mentioned it early on, but what's our foundational pieces. So what are our reads off a pin down screen? You know, what, what, what are we gonna do? So for us, player one, for us, if you come off a pin down screen, you either score it, screen it, or zoom it. So we teach our kids that. So no matter what action we throw at them, I'm coming off a screen and I catch a basketball, I know either score it, screen it, or zoom it. Like, that's it. So we know that's, we start teaching those things. You know, if we go to dribble handoffs. We teach, okay, if my man's even with me, I'm back cutting, my man's trailing me, I'm going to curl my guy, you know, to take, you know, we just go through all of our different reads through dribble handoffs. We go through our different reads and pick and rolls. So we just, it's more of teaching the foundational pieces first. And then we're just working on specific basketball actions. And then once we teach those, 
then we start deciding, okay, what's our personnel like? Who do we have that we like? You know, what's, what's some different things you think would be successful for us? So then we start going through our different, you know, I've got like a library of like 15 different actions I would, I would want to run out of our five out. You know, what's going to fit our personnel the best? And then I pick, you know, five to six that I think would be, that's going to work great for us. And then we just start building in the counters out of those different actions. So we don't run, it looks like we run a lot of different things, but it's not. It's just four or five consistent core things that we just have counter after counter after counter for. So I wanted to get into um, an interesting concept, something that I've also tried to study over the years, which is how much do you connect your inbound plays to your actual offense? I think some coaches will say, we, it's everything, all the concepts are the same. And then some people will say, I got two or three inbound plays that I really like that don't really connect to my offense overly uh, too much. So kind of what's your philosophy? I think it's a, it's a good combination of both. I mean, we're not going to like inbound the ball into like a set five out play per se. You know, it's more of, you know, we'll inbound the ball out of an action and then we're playing out of that action. And it's an action we already play out of. So maybe it's a zipper screen into a ball screen. Okay, we're playing out of our ball screen reads there. Or we'll go, you know, inbound it to the big up top. We'll backspin the inbounder and we come off the DHO. So we're playing out of our DHO reads. So it's just, it, it's nothing new for our guys. It's same, the same actions we run normally out of our half court set. Um, but we just, maybe a little bit different alignment, obviously. Uh, but it's still our guys making the exact same reads, uh, the exact same actions, whether it's from the side, underneath, and All right, so let's go into talking about similarly designing your defense to complement your offense, right? Because I think I personally feel that's that's a big a big thing, right? I mean, if you have one defense Agreed. and you got guys here and there, it's not going to really flow into what what you want to do. So, how are you guys designing your defense and positioning your guys? Uh, you know, like you said, even as simple as inbounding, who inbounds the ball to complement what you want to do offensively. I think you're right on the money. I think you have to marry your offense and defense, right? You can't be, we're going to go play 12 seconds or less and then go sit back in a zone where you play defense for 35 seconds. It just doesn't, it doesn't flow well. I do think you have to marry your defense and your offense to kind of fit the same sort of style and pace that you're wanting to play on offense and vice versa with defense. So for us, we're going to try and get after guys a little bit. You know, we're going to get in the passing lanes. We'll switch when possible because kind of like how we're positionless on offense, we're kind of positionless on defense. If you want to set a ball screen on us, okay, we're going to switch 6-2 to 6-2. Like, <laughs> we're the same, the same player. So I do think when, we, when, we, when, we, when we're talking to our guys about how positionless we are on offense, it's the same sort of philosophy that we're positionless on defense. So we like to switch. You know, on defense, kind of mayors are, you know, you're interchangeable on offense. Same sort of type of philosophy. So then uh, now I, I'm going to call this a, a, a Zazadil question because I know he, he does enjoy this discussion. That process for filtering information or plays or things you see on social media or, you know, I mean, if we took everything all of us saw in social media, your playbook would be 752,000 plays. So kind of <laughs> how do you just go through, like you may see something on a, on a April afternoon and you're like I want to put that in in November but then you you write it down and then let's be honest you lose that piece of paper uh kind of like you're a paper airplane from your sophomore <laughs> scout and you know so how do you personally how do you go about filtering in and, and sometimes just seeing stuff saying you like it but then also saying to yourself 
this doesn't fit what we want to do. Yeah, it's hard, right? We, we have access to like everything and anything at all times. So it is, it is a tricky situation. What I like to do is I try and see as organized as I possibly can. So if I'm watching a game or see something on Twitter or whatever, like I have all my, my libraries all categorized by action. So I'll just, you know, add it to my library. Um, and then a lot of times I'll catch it by film first. So, you know, I'll, I'll, then I go back to draw the play. Before I draw the play, I rewatch it. Is this worth it? Like, is this worth me drawing this up? You know, I really want to use this or I want to save this. Or is this something that, yeah, it might be cool later on down the road, right? And I try and kind of filter that way. Um, so what I try to do is one, when I see it, is it useful to me now? Like, is it something that we run or something we could, we could possibly run? If it's not, but it's just cool, like, yeah, I might just like bookmark it or save it, whatever, just to like maybe look back later. But if it's something that's useful to what we kind of do now, um, you know, I will, I'll take it and then I'll kind of digest it and see how it fits into our stuff. And if I can't go put it into our stuff right then and there, then I just kind of try and move on because there is so much stuff um, because of that this is out there. You can go sit there on Twitter and just find play after play after play after play or go watch. I mean, I watch game after game after game every day on Synergy and just looking and watching. And so it, it, it is hard because you want to keep everything. And then pretty soon you have, like you said, you have 8,000 plays and you can only use 40. So um it, it is a tough process. I just try to stay as organized as possible. And if it does not fit me immediately, I kind of push it to the side because it must not be that important, even though it was pretty cool. All right, so let's remove the, the your team aspect and now go to your, your content and your brand aspect. I guess what have you just found when you put stuff out that is, I guess that's popular with people right now. What, what you know, obviously five out is because Milwaukee was doing it. There's a lot of teams doing it, but you know, when you put your content out and you're doing those things, uh, what, are, what are some of the things you found that, that people are, are really looking at right now? Um, well, I post mostly five out stuff. So guys, you know, seem to like that. Um, what I found is people enjoy the plays, but they enjoy hearing the, the breakdown or, or explanation a little bit more. So like I have some YouTube videos and other stuff out there that, that I post, but like the most highest viewed ones are the ones where like I spend five to 10 minutes just kind of going through, you know, here's what they're running and why, and here's how it works and here's the counters to it. So I do think that kind of stuff's important. So when I find a clip where it's, it's a kind of a based formation out of something that we all are trying to implement within our offenses, I always try and snag those. I think those are great coaching moments um, to share with others. Now, I always love sharing a sweet ATO that, you know, Utah runs or somebody runs it. That's great. But I do think it's really important to find us those, those great coachable moment clips that you can really share and break down and share with others. So, you know, we kind of talked a lot about um, kind of the, the five out offense and things like that. I, I wanted to kind of go really into um, the idea of setting ball screens and in, in a big and I think a lot of times most coaches run a five out offense because we want to have spacing and we want to have the floor open and we want to have a lot of movement. <laughs> and, and then oftentimes as coaches, then we say, well, let's run a lot of ball screens. So, but we're going to, we're going to talk about all this spacing, but let's have two players as close as humanly possible. <laughs> and I think that's something I've kind of battled with over the years is I think for a lot of kids, in youth basketball, they do run a lot of ball screens, so they become very comfortable with it. But then I, I try not to also become too overly ball heavy because I do think at some point it starts to clog it up and then people are defending ball screens differently. And 
So mm-hmm. what would you say, you know, is for you maybe the ideal amount or ideal percent or however you want to break it down of ball screen action within your offense? And then maybe outside of ball screens or other kind of screens, what are maybe an essential action? I mean, it could even just be passing and cutting um, that's important to you as a five out coach. So a couple different ways you can go with this. So one is uh, we do set a lot of ball screens because we're a big, heavy, you know, drag screen team. So we're trying to set those as often as possible because I think those are very difficult to guard. But if it's not a drag screen, typically that ball screen's happening as a consecutive action. So what I mean by that is I come off a pin down and our, and our reads are, right, score it, screen it, zoom it. So I come off, I can't score it. Well, that means I have to screen it. So if our big went and set a pin down, He's going to turn right around and then go set a ball screen. So now that big had to guard a pin down and a ball screen within three seconds. Same guy guarding had to get through a pin down and then get through a ball screen within a matter of seconds. So I think that makes it a little more easier for our guys to um, create an advantage out of pick and rolls when we layer them as consecutive actions. Uh, We also treat all DHOs as, as a pick and roll. So our big makes the same reads out of a DHO as he does his pick and rolls. So it helps keep the consistency with our bigs, but it gives us a different option other than just say pick and roll. Cause we can have a DHO, which is a different look, even though it's the same sort of in our eyes, same concept. Um, but I do think other than those pick and roll stuff, I think uh, cutting is very important and cutting from the opposite 45 is a, is a huge proponent of what, what you can utilize in the five out offense because that paint is always so far open. Um, and his team start to help in different things. That 45 cut is, is really tremendous. I, I've just started experimenting with the weak side 45 cut. So I agree <laughs> with that. Um, I, I do one, one, one more follow-up, one more part of the five out that I was interested to hear from you is, was there any concept that you started with in the five out offense? And you're like, I really like this concept. And now after doing it for, you know, the years you've done it, you're like, you know what? I don't really like that concept in the five out offense anymore. It's a good question. Um, I would say I used to really like what we'd call swing action. So we'd get a full reversal, you know, top middle get the top. Then we go into some like double drag or some double staggers, some single aways, different kind of stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I got a, I loved it at the beginning, but then I didn't feel like we really utilized it well enough or did a good job teaching it. So then I kind of got out of it. I like more of the quicker action stuff versus the long weight stuff. Um, so that'd be one, I'd say what we, we just call swing. We just get a full reversal and then wait for like a multiple layered action to happen. It was just very kind of killed our flow. So I loved it, like looking at it, watching it, but when it came to us applying it, it just didn't really, I just didn't fit or what, but that was one thing that I kind of pulled back on and looked to add some more quicker action. All right, so we want to head to our last two segments. The first one's called 30 Second Timeout. It's your platform um, for, for anything you want, uh, you know, your content, your brand, your program, uh, something important to you, anything you want our listeners to hear. Um, and, and, you know, we're not going to put you on the timer here. So uh, sure. your, your so-called air quotes 30 seconds to uh, talk about uh, something of your choice. I do think it's, it's very important for us as coaches to read um, and read non-basketball stuff. So in fact, actually today we're going through some like, it's crazy to think for Christmas <laughs> items. Um, but, you know, to my wife, like two, three different books I want to read. 
you know, and they're not X's and O's books or nothing about basketball. It's more of, you know, culture, leadership, you know, finding different ways to just, just be a better person, right? Because that's, that's our ultimate goal with this thing is helping our young men and women become better people and better men and women into our society. So I think anything you can do um, to find time to read and read non-basketball stuff, read leadership books, read uh, mental health books, read anything non-X's and O's related. And I feel like those can make almost a bigger impact in our coaching than all the X's and O's stuff. I mean, they always say it's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's, not the X's and the O's, but the Jimmy's and the Joe's don't like you or don't want to listen to you. It doesn't matter what you're going to do. So I just think it's important for us as coaches to really grow as people. And a great way to do that is just is reading. It's just an awesome tool that I'd never utilized when I was younger. And I wish I'd started reading a lot a long time ago. I 100% agree with everything you just said, especially about, and I have a follow-up during our quick hitter segment, but um, I just think it's really important to, to hit, especially on the mental health piece. So as we get into our last segment, quick hitters, um, again, this is our segment. We just like to have a little fun with our guests to finish. Uh, we'll just go some rapid fire questions. They might be basketball related. They might not be basketball related. Uh, so just, just some fun questions to hit on. Sure. All right, so the best post player of all time that would fit into a five-out offense. Best post player of all time. Well, I'm going to – I don't know if you would call him a post player or not, but I would love to see Carl Malone run the five-out offense because he was so – like him and Stockton would be phenomenal to watch them run. Like think of, you know, Murray and Jokic. Like to watch those two dudes do the same type of stuff in five-out, that would be really cool to watch and it would be a lot of fun to, to watch. So if, if I'm allowed to pick Carl Malone, I'd love to see the mailman up in there running the five spot. I just liked when he said his ultimate lineup and uh, he was had Sabonis and Jimmy Butler. And I think I would put those in almost any lineup. <laughs> um, all right. So we got the best coach currently out there or, you know, one or two of the best coaches out there that you feel like run the five out system very well. So I thought Nate York in Indiana last year ran the best five out I've ever seen. Um, He's a phenomenal X's and O's coach. You know, obviously it's unfortunate not there anymore, but if you can watch last year's Indiana team, they were phenomenal. Um, Nick Nurse obviously runs a lot of great at five out stuff. Um, if you're looking collegiately, uh, I'm really excited to watch Oklahoma play this year because what mm -hmm. Coach Moser did at, at Loyola Chicago was, was awesome, or Loyola Marymount, I apologize, was, was unbelievable to see him do that with a different caliber of athlete. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, and then Oral Roberts ran like – the most true five out offense, like they pick and pop, they will never dive their big, like they're true five out and, and they're fun to watch because if you watch Oral Roberts, their five out spacing at the college level was unbelievable. So if you're looking how to space your guys without a three point line, watch Oral Roberts last year, their spacing was phenomenal. And they had, and they had some really good guards. They had some really good guards that, that, could, get, <laughs> that could get after it. Uh, all right. Underrated twiddle. Twitter follow any any aspect right like that could be basketball could be outside of basketball what somebody that's underrated or somebody might not know that that you really like uh basketball wise they say Tucker Thorson basketball um they don't have a huge yep. following like 1400 people but they post awesome content like if you're looking for nuggets and wrinkles and like the hidden gems within what people are doing like they do a great job of finding those and, and sharing that kind of stuff so Tucker Thorson basketball is a great job um, if you're looking for more like non-basketball related stuff, it's not really a follow on Twitter, but a podcast I really like is called Finding Mastery with Michael, uh, Dr. Gervais. He's awesome. So it's all about just 
he brings a lot of guests on that like have mastered their craft. And he talks about how do you get to that ability of mastering your craft and the mental preparation, the stuff behind it, getting into flow. And um, that's a really cool podcast because he brings in you know, the, the best of the best in every field. And it's to hear the, the mental side of it. It's really cool. All right. We got uh, a, some, some video breakdown, maybe you saw it on Twitter, maybe you saw it on YouTube, maybe you saw it at uh, championship productions, you know, wherever you saw it, best video breakdown you've learned the most from. Um, I would say anything that Cody Toppert's put out is awesome. Cody's a great teacher of five out. Uh, that's where I, you know, I've had some foundational pieces in place and then I sit there and watch Cody stuff and just like it made every light bulb just turn on and click. So anything that, you, that Cody Topper puts out is, is phenomenal. All right. So let's go into the five out. What are your top three actions? What are you going to? I love delay. <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite actions. I'd say delay. Um, Quick actions, and then I'm also big um, double drag into away. So you come off a double drag screen, then they go to the double stagger away for the strong side corner. Those would be my three favorite. All right, I wanted to finish with just on something you said, because uh, you kind of just hit on in your 30-second timeout uh, and, and reading and, and different things that were important. What is your maybe one book or two books that you really have read about culture or mental health or relating to players uh, that you really enjoyed? Um, just trying to look at my, look around my bookcase right now. Um, I really enjoyed Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, not really relationship building, but just as far as you kind of bettering yourself was an awesome one. Um, it's another good one. Stream Ownership's a great one. Um, and then I'm excited to read that's on my, that's on my list this year is Embrace the Suck, which is uh, the Navy SEAL mm -hmm. author. Mm -hmm. uh, but th those are all great ones as far as just kind of leadership. Oh, you know what's actually, you know what? The best book I read in a long time was The Seven Hard Truths by uh, Cody Royal. Um, or The Seven Hard Truths, something like that. But he, he talks about the seven hard truths of being a head coach. And that book, like, that was phenomenal. I read that book so quick. And it was just it, everything hit home. Um, it just puts everything into perspective. It, it has a really, that's probably the best book I've read in a really long time. That's funny you say that coach. Cause I've actually, we asked numerous coaches if they felt like they had imposter syndrome for a while. That was one of our big uh, hitters for a while. So yes, I agree. That was a great book. Uh, coach, we really appreciate you jumping on. Um, before we let you go, tell us, tell our listeners where they can follow you, where they can find you, maybe what you got coming up next. Sure. So my Twitter handle is at Coach Dimes. And then if you want to see us like the, the basketball side of stuff, if you know it's at 94 feet hoops with a Z because S was taken. <laughs> um, but you can find us on there, try and share stuff there. I, I, I love talking basketball. I love sharing the game. So if you want to reach out, you got questions, please, by all means, reach out. You know, I'm very accessible. Uh, I just love talking hoops. I love just talking basketball. So if you want to, you know, reach out to me, feel free. Love to talk basketball and see if I can help in any way. Don't claim to know it all, but I'm happy to try and figure it out together. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Plicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. 
You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching after the timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.